You're listening to Nightlight. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to this latest edition of Nightlight. Nice to have you with us for another inspiring show. Like a candle in the night, it's Nightlight. Well, at the beginning of this year, I went for a few days retreat and relaxation in my favorite quiet place. That's the beautiful Sesi Islands in Lake Victoria in Uganda, where I live. And I took with me a book that caught my eye in the bookstore just before I left. It's called Glimpses of Heaven by Trudy Harris. And it's subtitled True Stories of Hope and Peace at the End of Life's Journey. On the back, it says... Tender, heartbreaking, and eye-opening, Glimpses of Heaven gives you an intimate look at the final thoughts, words, and visions of terminally ill and dying people. Through the eyes of former hospice nurse Trudy Harris, you'll experience more than 40 true stories that paint a reassuring picture of life's end. Well, I really want to recommend this book as I found it so inspiring. And that's why I want to share some of the stories with you on this special edition of Nightlight, complemented, of course, by some incredible songs that I have in my song library. Starting with this from Ray Brannan, who's Going Home.
Ray Brannan going home. And that's really what these stories are about. The book is called Glimpses of Heaven, but these are not life after death stories, but rather they're accounts of patients who received from the Lord exactly what they needed to see or hear in order to die peacefully and well. And here's the first story. Even the night can be bright when you switch on your nightlight. Frank. Frank was only 68 years old and dying of inoperable lung cancer. He had lived a full and productive life and had a long and happy marriage to Jenny. His diagnosis came as a surprise to him and to his family. He looked and felt well and had only recently been diagnosed with very few symptoms. He was sad that he would be leaving his wife so soon, but his nature was very laid back, and both he and his wife reflected a peaceful acceptance of his illness, which could only be explained by their experiencing death in some other way before. What it was, I did not yet know. As I was visiting with him just a few weeks after he had been diagnosed, Frank said to me in a very matter-of-fact way, my son, John, is here with me now. He said it's time for me to go. Can you see him? He's sitting over there in the chair. He's beckoning for me to go with him. By this time, I had learned that his only son, John, had died in Vietnam many years ago. And now, Frank, sitting up in his bed, looking not at all like someone who was dying, was seeing him and enjoying his presence. I replied that I could not see him, but asked Frank to tell me how he looked. Frank said John looked wonderful in his uniform, young and as handsome as he'd always been, and that John was encouraging him to let go and come with him. Frank had had a warm and trusting relationship with his only son, and now he seemed completely unafraid to leave this life as he knew it. It was amazing to see the joy he expressed at the thought of seeing John again. Their faith enabled them to know that they would all be together in heaven at a later time. It seems no one ever dies alone. God always sends someone we have loved to accompany us. In the few short weeks I was with Frank, I was amazed at the peace that surrounded both him and his wife and their acceptance of his illness and imminent death. They enjoyed each day left to them. They adored this only son who had died years earlier, and their faith told them they would see him again in heaven. Frank's wife, though sad at the idea of losing him, thought it wonderful that John had come for his dad. Frank died several nights after this conversation in his sleep, without a struggle, at peace with both his life and his death.
They all move so slowly and with such peace Like in a slow motion dance they flow with ease In harmony with the music of the stars They're so happy where they are They float as they walk and glide around Their feet seem to hardly touch the ground All talking and laughing happily Oh, what a lovely place to be As earth recedes, heaven opens To a world waiting above We let go of time, pain and sorrow For this glorious kingdom of love They're much better off than you and I Released from the troubles of this life Free from their hunger and their thirst All disease and every curse Dressed now in shimmering gowns of light Looking much like they did in prime of life Transporting to earth or anywhere They just think it and they're there As earth recedes Heaven opens to a world waiting above We let go of time, pain and sorrow For this glorious kingdom of love From their vantage point of there And when aloud they help us hear And that day when our job on earth is done They'll be there to take us home On that wonderful day we will transform Feeling so loving and so warm We'll rise up an eye as earth recedes heaven opens to the world waiting above we let go of time pain and sorrow for this glorious kingdom of
Johnny was a hard drinker and chain smoker. He lived alone for a long time, separated from his only son, whom he now asked to take care of him. His son, whom he'd left when he was a young boy, agreed. Johnny had very few soft edges, and now, diagnosed with inoperable lung cancer, he was even harder to please or make happy. He was angry and tired, and no amount of kindness or help was received well by him. For some reason that I do not fully understand, grouchy and seemingly mean-spirited people have always intrigued me. I think I always felt there had to be some good inside of them that not even they knew about, and I wanted to find it. His son agreed to take care of his father at home for as long as it seemed safe to do so. He did exactly that. Being a local fireman, he knew all too well the dangers of older people living alone, and although he very seldom went out of town, he wanted to be sure of his father's safety if he did. As Johnny began to decline, he often forgot to take the medications that kept him both out of pain and breathing easier. But after he forgot to turn the stove off one too many times, the decision was made for him to enter a long-term care living facility. He settled in quickly and seemed grateful to be well cared for there. Johnny often said that he did not believe in God, but he brought him up often in conversation out of the blue and for no apparent reason. In the middle of talking about something entirely different, Johnny would angrily ask how smart people could believe in a God they could not see. He thought that those who believed were weak and dependent, and he had no time for them or their thinking. He would often say, Here comes that God person, when I visited him in the nursing home, all the while giving me a big smile and a wink. I think he recognized the cross I wore as a symbol of something he did not understand and he both wanted and did not want to know about it. Little did we know what God had in mind to tenderize this heart that was longing for something and someone it did not yet understand. We developed a very sweet friendship over the next three or four months, both of us knowing his time was growing shorter. His son watched with great surprise as his father slowly but surely softened toward him. And although they did not actively talk about the heartfelt things, his son understood that he wanted to, but did just not know how. It seemed enough for them both to communicate with a gentle nod or a touch on the shoulder. Johnny had been an avid smoker all his life, and he remained so even now. He could only light up and enjoy his cigarette outside the nursing home in the gardens. He would ask me from time to time to take him there in his wheelchair for a smoke, which I did. But as he grew weaker, getting in and out of the wheelchair was too difficult for him. One day, he asked if I would take him one last time to the screened porch where he was also allowed to smoke. I knew his time was near, and so did he. So we went. Sitting quietly smoking his cigarette, he looked up at the wall facing him and pointing to the famous picture of Jesus knocking on a door, he asked me what it meant. The picture is of Jesus, I said, and the door is your heart. Jesus is knocking on it. Tell me what you see in the picture that is different. 
leaning as close to the picture as he could get, he said, There's no doorknob on the door. Why is that? God is so gentle and tender with us. He will not force his way in, I said. He wants you to open it from your side and invite him in. The door has to be opened from the inside by you. He only wants to come into your heart and make himself known to you and take you to heaven with him. He did not seem a bit put off by my explanation, but smiled a gentle and trusting smile as I wheeled him back to his room. But suppose I just don't believe in him at all. What then? he asked. As I tucked him back in bed for the night, I suggested that he just tell God that he'd never believed in him and ask him to please show him if he really exists. Tell him you're sorry for whatever you did wrong in your life and ask him to take you to heaven with him, if that's where he is, I suggested. He smiled as we said goodbye, both of us knowing it would be for the last time. Here was a lonely, angry man who would have died alone if it had not been for a very forgiving and loving son who took him in when he needed him most. Here was a son who was able to put aside the hurts of the past and accept this father as he was and give him respect and care, withholding nothing. Here was a man who probably was looking for God all his life, but did not know how to find him. And here was God in the wings all the time, wanting to comfort and love this one lost soul. Johnny died in the early morning hours of the next day. The nurse called to say that he'd never moved after I left and simply went off to sleep peacefully. She asked me to notify his son, who was out of town, and asked if I would come by for his clothes and things since they needed the room right away for another patient. Visiting the nursing home later in the morning, I passed through the porch where Johnny and I had sat the evening before. Not seeing the picture on the wall, I asked the nurse about it. She reacted with surprise, saying there never had been a picture of Jesus on that wall. And yes, that was the only porch at the facility. And yes, that was where he sat, having a smoke with me the evening before. After carefully examining both the porch and the wall, both for nail marks or fading, I realized she was right. No picture had ever hung on that wall. Needless to say, I was speechless. And so was she. Who can explain the awesome power of God? my wheelchair face me toward the setting sun leave me there an hour or two by then I should be done I'll make peace with my creator maybe even sing a song think a while about the things that I done right or wrong then come and take away my body but I won't Come along, don't count on me. 
conversation Because I'm going, 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 going She was a 41-year-old mother with a very loving husband and a three-year-old daughter. But life had not been easy for Hannah. Her parents had died years earlier in a car crash, and Hannah, at 17, was left to raise her three younger sisters. The girls were as close as any four people could be and had grown up nurturing and protecting one another. Now, Hannah, so young and lovely, with a husband who loved her dearly, and a precious three-year-old to raise, was dying. She, like her sisters, had a strong Christian faith, and she knew well that heaven was waiting for her. Still, she so badly did not want to leave them. Hannah lived every day to the fullest, with a very joyous spirit, in a house filled with family, friends, and children. Good food was always around, and in spite of the enormity of this impending loss, 
this family exuded happiness. Hannah's sisters spent lots of time with her, bathing her, fixing her hair, painting her fingernails, and tenderly covering her frail body with creamy lotion. They were doing for her now all the things she had done for them when they were little, and she reveled in every minute of it. Oftentimes when I visited Hannah, I would find her and all her sisters piled up in the bed together. I'm sure it was just that way when they'd lost their parents years before and only had each other to love and rely on. It was very sweet to watch them love her in this way now, and her husband seemed to understand it all perfectly. He was so unselfish in his sharing of Hannah with them and reflected a very tender understanding of their closeness and need to be with her now. Hannah had loved everyone and everything so well all her life. Now, as she was getting ready for her eternal reward in heaven, she was being loved equally well. You always seem to get back in abundance what you've given away during your lifetime, and that was happening for Hannah now. You can be sure her sisters gave back to the three-year-old she was leaving behind the same love she had given to them so long ago in full measure. They were, for her, what Hannah had been for them when they too were left without a mother. How often do we think about Jesus' words, Love one another as I have loved you. If only we could understand and practice them as well as Hannah did, I think the world would be just as God had planned it to be. Hannah was getting weaker every day, and she rested often. Her room was filled with friends and family who loved her very much and whose lives she had made better during her short journey. Church friends, neighbors, relatives, and all those she had touched in some way were with her now. I think I'll never forget her last day on this earth, with her husband kneeling on the floor beside her and her daughter's little head resting in her lap. Her sisters had all climbed into the bed with her, encouraging her to go on to heaven, Hannah. Go on, just let go. To which Hannah quietly replied, just as she was dying, Okay, okay, I'm going. Don't rush me. And she left. Some bright morning When this life is old I'll fly away To a home on God's celestial shore Like a bird from the 
edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. And yes, you're listening to a special international edition of Nightlight. And I'm sharing with you some stories from Glimpses of Heaven, a book by Trudy Harris. You know, it's funny how no one likes to talk about death. It's the least favorite topic for people to think about. And people, they could die, really, any time, any one of us. And yet, it's amazing how, well, paradoxically, the world is obsessed with death in its wars and its violent movies. If it doesn't have death in it, then it's not that entertaining in the eyes of many. But for those of us who die in the Lord, well, death is not something to be dreaded or feared. On the contrary, as we're learning from these true stories, death can be a very special, beautiful, and peaceful time, both for the one who is passing on and also for the relatives and friends. And here's the next story I picked out to read for you, and it's about a 15-year-old boy called Joel. Inspiring you to draw closer to God, you're listening to Nightlight. 
Joel was only 15 years old. He'd been battling cancer for more than five years and was now losing the fight. Wonderful parents who had loved him dearly had not raised him in the church. They were frantic now, wanting Joel to know God personally. The parish priest was patient and kind with Joel, an understanding of his parents' need to get everything right. He spent time talking with him about God and heaven and tried as hard as he knew how to help them all come to some understanding of the importance of this young life and now the meaning of his death. Joel had a small bedroom where he spent a great deal of quiet and resting time. His bed was next to a window that was very narrow but at least eight feet high from the ceiling to the floor. He had looked out of this window for hours at a time over the last several years. One day, when I was visiting him, I asked him to tell me what he saw there that interested him so much. This is where God really lives, he said to me quietly. He told me how he watched the bark fall off the large tree outside his window year after year and explained how it became part of the mulch when it fell to the ground. He told me about the squirrels and birds and other critters he saw there, and how busy they all were eating and fixing their nests with parts of that tree. He said that he would watch a tiny leaf sprout out of the dark, brown, dead-looking mulch in the spring, and then, in a short time, produce a beautiful flower. He spoke about how beautiful the rain was when it fell onto the canvas of his window and how it fed all the unseen things beneath the mulch. He said, unlike the rest of us, that he loved to see the leaves drop off the tree in the fall because he could look forward to their becoming newly green every spring, making the tree beautiful again. How can people see all this and still not believe in God? He asked. It's really so simple. The lessons Joel taught us about the tree reminds us that God is constantly nurturing every living thing through the daily gifts of sunlight and rain, that he brings beauty and understanding out of the darkness and peace in the midst of heartache and sorrow and that he makes the promise of new life to all who believe in him. We all recognized a simple, living, breathing insight and understanding of God in this young boy. Joel knew him better than we all did. And we decided easily and quickly to sit quietly with him by his window and learn from him that this is where God really lives. A little child will often lead us if we will only get out of our own way and just watch and listen. God had given Joel an understanding of life and beauty that most people spend a lifetime trying to find. He knew when he created him that Joel would have a short earthly life. God promised he would make things known to the simple only to confuse the wise. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be the simple one whom Jesus speaks about rather than the wise one who remains blinded by his or her own sense of 
intellectual importance. Lord, please help us all. She'd been taken home to be cared for by her young parents until she died. Young professionals can handle anything, right? Aren't they supposed to be able to fix any problem, mend any defect, and make it all right? Not so. As much as these young parents wanted to make her better, this beautiful little girl could not be fixed. Saddened and unbearably helpless, her parents loved and tenderly cared for her, until she quietly went to sleep for the last time in her own home. Can we put her in bed with us and sleep with her tonight? They asked the nurse who was caring for her. Yes, of course you can. And I'll come by early in the morning to bathe and dress her with you. Together they would drive her to the funeral home to be laid out in her christening gown and placed in her little white bassinet to be buried. 
On the way to meet the young family the next morning, the nurse stopped at a florist to pick up some beautiful yellow roses to give to them. She did not know why she stopped for the flowers. She just felt moved to do so. The parents, seeing the roses, smiled. How could this lovely nurse know that this young couple would see the yellow roses as a sign of God's intimate love and care for them? They knew now that Lorraine was safe in his care. Pure faith, when seen firsthand, up close, and in the most tragic of circumstances, takes your breath away. In the face of the tremendous loss of a newborn baby girl, this young couple could find solace in the gift of roses only because they had the faith to believe. Faith forged and practiced throughout life seems to be that soft place on which to rest when tragedy comes our way. The lessons learned by those of us on the periphery of these life experiences are forever etched in our minds and hearts. They are gifts of faith shared wordlessly by those God places in our care. Who is the gift and who is the gift giver? As I was telling this story several years later at a large gathering, a young woman came to the stage to speak with me. I am Lorraine's mother, she said to me, and there's more to that story. A friend sent a beautiful rose bush for our garden when Lorraine went to heaven, she explained, and every year, on the anniversary of her death in February, a lovely rose blooms. She thanked me for keeping her daughter's memory alive in the telling of the story. I don't think she could possibly have had any idea just how powerful that experience was for others to hear. Over the years of telling that story, I've had many parents come forward to share their own very personal experiences of losing a child and finding comfort in an unexpected way, just as these young parents did. Lenora. Lenora was 54 years old, the head of a large Arabic family, and dying of a malignant tumour on her brain. Her family never left her side. They loved her and bathed her and fed her, and they did not talk about her dying. She sat up in bed surrounded by pretty linens and pillows and the wonderful smells of freshly cut flowers, and despite the number of people coming and going, there was never any question as to who was in charge. There was a constant flow of good food, friends and family, and it was clear that this good mother had loved her children well, and now they were giving back to her all that she had given to them. One day, while I was visiting, she asked to speak to me alone, and much to everyone's surprise, she excused her entire family from the room. 
this big angel comes and stands near my bed, she said to me very sternly. Right there, she said, pointing to the corner of her bedroom. Is he here now? I asked. No, he just comes and goes, and he's always smiling at me. Mrs. Nurse, when I see that angel, do you think I really see that angel? Yes, you do, I said. When you see that angel, he is really here in the room with you. I explained to her that this is a very common experience for people getting ready to go to heaven, and that God often lets people have glimpses of heavenly beings before they get there. She smiled and nodded her head knowingly in agreement. She was right. Visions of angels, loved ones who have died before us, family members who are far away, sweet smells, beautiful flowers and angelic choirs are frequent experiences for those who are dying. We can try to explain these things away in lofty scientific terms, but eventually we come to know that we're not meant to understand everything. In time, that is a relief, since we no longer waste time trying to give our understanding and meaning to a dying person's experiences. Calling her entire family back into the room, Lenora said to them, When I tell you that I see that angel by my bed, I'm telling you I see that angel. She left no doubt in anyone's mind that day about what she wanted them to understand, and I often think that she knew on some level the comfort this experience would bring to them later on in life. For those who walk by faith during their lifetime, spiritual experiences at the end of life are readily understood and accepted. A life of devotion to others brings sweet contentment in the end. Lenora died peacefully a few weeks later surrounded by loving family and friends who could easily be called her earthly angels. They cared for her the way she had cared for them, with constancy and attention. She remained a mother to the end.
encouraging you how very dearly Jesus loves you. You're listening to Nightlight. Frederick. A neighbor whom I did not know well at the time met me on the front lawn as I got home from work one evening. She explained that she had an uncle in Boston who lived alone and had recently been diagnosed with a terminal illness. She said that she and her mother would like to take care of him and asked if I would help him get the care he would need if she arranged to bring him to our city. I immediately assured her that I'd be happy to do so. To which she replied, Oh, good, because I gave his doctor your phone number. I loved it. Needless to say, in the ensuing years, she and I have become good friends. Frederick was admitted into the hospice center within a week or two of his arrival in Jacksonville, and I had the joy of visiting him there every day. He was a magnificent-looking man, about 78 years old, very elegant, with a naturally graceful demeanor. His hair was as white as snow, and his eyes were electric blue. As you entered his room, you were struck by the classical music playing day and night, freshly cut flowers everywhere, and greeting cards hanging from every slat on the louvered blinds. It was obvious that he was well-known and much loved. Frederick was extraordinarily well-educated with a background in philosophy and religion, and he had to say but a few words for you to fully understand that he was a thinker a deep thinker about all the most important things in life, and he exuded the manners of a wonderfully genteel man. One day, when I stopped by for a visit, Frederick was sobbing. I sat quietly near his bed, asking if there was something I could do for him. He simply shook his head and sobbed even harder. Tell me what it is, I asked. No, no, no. He would say, just sit here with me. This experience repeated itself many times over the next few weeks, and each time I found him in this way, I simply sat with him until he became tired and fell asleep. One day he said to me, I've had an experience, and I'll tell you about it one day. Not now, not yet, but one day. That was all he said. A few weeks later, as I was leaving for home, I stopped by to say good night. This time Frederick was crying very, very hard. Looking up at me, he simply said, Sit down. I sat down. He cried and cried quietly for a long time, and I just held his hand without saying a word. Finally, he looked at me and said, Do you remember my telling you about an experience I had that I would tell you about later on? Well, I'm going to tell you about it now. He proceeded to tell me that Jesus himself had come into this bedroom here at the hospice center. Gesturing to a corner of the room, he explained that he had stood right there near the front of his bed. He said Jesus' presence had filled the room with the most incredible sense of compassion, beauty, and forgiveness he had ever seen. He spoke of the love and tenderness he saw clearly reflected in his eyes and the awareness he felt of being loved deeply just for himself. 
Frederick spoke quietly in awesome tones and with an insightful and graceful manner about this very personal experience. He wanted to be sure I understood every word that he was saying. If I saw Jesus like you did, I asked, would I cry too? Oh, yes, he replied. Why would I cry? I asked him. Because he's so beautiful, he said, and because he loves us so much and forgives us all our sins. He wants us to let him love us and wants us to be free to love him too, just as we are. We spoke for a long time after his sharing this wonderful experience with me. I thought for all the world that he wanted me to get it right so as to be able to share it with others, as I am doing now. With all the education and experience Frederick had in life, and with all the knowledge others saw in him, Frederick, like all of us, simply did not know the depth of love God had for him. The hole in his heart was filled to capacity in the last hours of his life. How do you explain these magnificent experiences that God allows his children to have? Who else but the one who created us all and loves us so intimately would know what each of us needs to be able to run home to him the way a small child runs to his father after a long day of playing with its falls and scrapes and hurts? That, after all, is what we do at the end of our lives. We run home to the Father who made us, realizing all we have done and not done with our lives, trusting that he who knows our repentant hearts so well will read there the story of our lives and love us dearly anyway. Early the next morning when I arrived at work, I stopped in to see Frederick. The nurses who had cared for him the evening before said that he'd gone off to sleep last night and had not really responded yet today. It was obvious that he was now resting in God's love and preparing to go home to him unafraid. He remained that way all day. When I left for home that evening, I told him goodbye and thanked him for allowing me to be his friend, saying that God often allows people to become instant friends for reasons that we do not understand. He simply smiled, his eyes still closed, letting me know that he had heard and agreed. When I arrived home 20 minutes later, my husband said the hospice center had called to say Frederick had just died. Well, at the end of last year, I turned 65 years old, and it suddenly dawned on me that, like it or not, most of my life is already over. Not only that, but a number of my old friends have recently gone on to be with the Lord, and so 
These stories have personally been a great comfort and inspiration to me, and I hope they were a blessing to you too. You can read more at Trudy Harris's website at www.glimpsesofheavenbook.com, and you can also friend her on Facebook at Trudy Harris. Thanks so much to John Listen for the heavenly instrumentals that complemented the readings. And you also heard songs from Ray Brannan, Jerry Palladino Pethuel, Heart to Heart, Jars of Clay, and Selah. That's it for now. And I'm already looking forward to being back with you again soon for another edition of Nightlight. God bless you. Bye-bye.